Well, good morning. How are you all this morning? Good. We are going to continue our Belong series. We're in part three this week, and we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and queue them up over there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, I'm excited to continue this series of Belong with you all this morning. Uh, the first week we talked about how there's no category, there's no uh, biblical category for spiritual maturity that exists in isolation. And we looked at the uh, biblical precedence, the biblical charge for being in community, that we, we were made for community, that we should be in community. And week two, last week, we talked about how community is a way to experience the grace of God. And living in community is a spiritual discipline, meaning that it, it takes a, some effort, some practice for us to uh, exercise that. But we were made for community. And we have a real enemy who tries to draw us away from the community that we were designed for, that we were made to thrive in. And so we were made for community. We have an enemy trying to keep us from it. And this morning, what we're going to look at is how we are a family on mission. So you're called to belong to a family, and your family is called to be missional. To uh, You're blessed by God to be a blessing to the world. This is a, a precedence that we've seen very early in Scripture, and we continue to see it uh, all the way through Revelation as we see uh, all the nations worshiping together. And so we're a family on mission, and we get to see that particularly through 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so we're excited. I'm excited about looking at that today. One thing Trey said last week that, that was really great is that, that family is messy, uh, that, that you are messy, right? And, and so because community and family can be messy, uh, we tend to avoid it. I want to revisit a few of those, those uh, reasons that he mentioned. Uh, we can avoid community because we want to avoid suffering, right? So if I welcome a messy person into my life, I'm welcoming a mess into my life, right? That there's going to be extra suffering that happens through loving these other people, right? And, and if I'm a pain avoider, right, then I'm going to try to divert that pain away. So I'm probably not going to try to live in the midst of this community that can hurt me. And so we've got this, this going against this, us there. We want to avoid intimacy. We say, well, you can't reject me if you don't know me, right? And so we keep everybody at least at an arm's length away. And then we also uh, know that family is messy, so we avoid accountability. We don't want to be told what to do. And because we don't want to be told what to do, we don't want to dive right into community. And, and I, I can relate with all three of those things because, frankly, those are, those are reasons that I avoided community when I first came to faith. I, I came to faith as a junior at Texas A&M University. Hey, whoop, I'll take it. That's, that, we need more of that. Uh, so... My junior year, I came to faith. I was, I was hungry for God's word. It was like transforming me. I, I put down all my textbook. I was just holding that Bible, and, and I couldn't put it down. I read the whole Bible in two months. But my spiritual growth was stunted because I refused to belong to a community. And so there are things that I wasn't exercising in my faith, like serving or all of the 100 plus one another commands that are in Scripture you, that you can't live out on an island. You can't live that out on your own. And so uh, because I had trust issues, and the last thing I wanted to do was be fully known and uh, in this community, I just kept that as a, as a part of my Christian faith that I was trying not to live out. And, and I, my spiritual growth was stunted through that. 
And so as we look at 1 Thessalonians 2, we're going to look at how can we belong to this family on mission? How can we be this family on mission? But also we're going to see this, this picture of people going from strangers to friends to family. Amen. And so we're going to see that very clearly in this text. And just to give a little more context, Paul, Timothy, and Silas are writing to the church at Thessalonica. They had just sent Timothy to check on them. They had it, This is like written the same year as it, they were there. They, they leave, they write the letter. Like very soon after they have left, they're writing this letter. And so there's a lot of love and ooey-gooey language that's beautiful that Paul has towards this church at Thessalonica. And, and we're going to see um, that in these verses, starting in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, we see the word brothers here. He's using family language. He uses that family language in all of his letters. So you might be like, okay, well, sure, family language, but he says brothers a lot. We'll just, we'll just keep, that, keep that in mind. Uh, he was saying it was not in vain. It wasn't wasted. We came to you. We shared the gospel with you. You responded. We've seen that. You know that it wasn't in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, what's he talking about there? He's talking about how uh, he and Silas and Timothy were going and they were proclaiming the gospel. And in Philippi, there was this slave girl who had this uh, divination spirit. And she was following them around saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. And over and over and over again, she was saying this. Paul gets annoyed. He casts the spirit out of her. And then the slave owners were frustrated because they saw that their chance of shameful gain was gone. And so they roused up a group of people to beat Paul and Silas up uh, to throw them in jail. And, and so they, they experienced suffering through this gospel proclamation that they've been doing in Philippi. But that didn't stop them from proclaiming the gospel. They continue to have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. We, we don't share the gospel for reasons much smaller than this, right? We, we don't share the gospel because people might look at us funny. They might uh, maybe see us a little bit differently. Oh, you're one of those people. But Paul and Silas, they experienced beatings, imprisonment, and they continue to declare the gospel in the next town. It didn't, it didn't slow them down. Verse 3 says, Our appeal does not spring forth from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. As we have experienced in community, when sometimes you have a little bit of distance between you and that person, maybe they, they leave and you're thinking about it, you haven't seen them in a few weeks, things start to, to come up, like these accusations of, well, you're, you're questioning their motives, you're questioning uh, things that they might have done or thought, and, and you're starting to um, have this division that comes about. Now, it's, some of that is that there's some space between uh, these missionaries and this church, but also there are people that are falsely accusing them of these things, uh, trying to undercut their ministry, undercut the things that they have done. And so um, he's coming and saying, hey, guys, you remember we were just there a few months ago. You remember what this was like. We didn't have any error. We weren't coming with this impure message. We weren't trying to deceive you. We, we've been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. And we're speaking not to please man, but to please him. 
And so he knows that we are living right and sharing right. And you guys should remember that we lived right and shared right before you. Verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So they're not coming up, uh, giving them like, you guys were just the best. Here's these words of flattery that they don't really mean. Uh, they're not using this disingenuous effort to try to make this all happen. There wasn't a pretext for greed. Uh, there wasn't any greed about them. On the contrary, they were, they were working while they were proclaiming the gospel. So there's, there's not really a place to accuse them of greed within this. They weren't looking for the glory of people, but the glory of God. And even though they could have said, Hey, I, I'm an apostle. I'm a sent one of God. I've got this great news. Uh, you should put us up in a house. You should provide us meals. Uh, they didn't do any of that because they didn't want any sort of accusations to be coming up, which is what ended up happening anyways. They wanted to proclaim the gospel to them free of charge, and they're being accused here. And what I also see in this text is that these words of flattery, these gre- this greed, these are things that can kill community. They can kill any sort of community, but especially within the family of God. Uh, so if you see any of these things within yourself, you should put them to death because these are things that will divide a community. Verse 7 is where it gets really interesting, uh, where he really amplifies this language of love that he has towards this church. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. I've never told someone that I love dearly that I was gentle to them like a nursing mother. It's not, a, it's not language that flows from me, okay? I think I'd be weirded out if somebody told me that, like dude to dude, dude, dude guy to guy, right? That, that kind of weirded me out. Um, like, I, I don't know what you mean, but okay. Um, but he's, he's saying, hey, like, we were so tender with you guys. Like, we could have came in with these demands, but we were so gentle. We were so patient. We were so loving. And, and we cared for you in a way that was completely selfless in the way that a mom takes care of a baby that's nursing, right? And so what we see here is that they, they shared with them their lives, their own selves. They were giving of themselves to this church. They had become very dear to them. They went from strangers to friends to family. They had become very dear to them. We see this, that family members joyfully suffer to grow the family. Family members joyfully suffer to grow the family. That's just what you do. And I think the the image that Paul uses is so powerful, right? That as a, I cared for you as a nursing mother cares for her young. That's how, that's how we love you. We were gentle among you like that. And, and when I think about that, I think about my kids, I've got two kids, and I've got some pictures of them. Uh, so on the left here is Ace, and this is like professional photography, like a week after. So it looks like, okay, yeah, we should definitely have a kid. This is great. But like on the right, you see this is like within 24 hours, just had the baby, we're exhausted. Um, and you can't even fully capture the exhaustion of new parenting, right? Parents, you with me? Amen. Yes. So, and, and the worst part about this is the newborn stage um, you're like, okay, I can actually see you. That's cool, right? But they're not contributing anything, right? 
There's like, what do you bring into the family here, baby? Nothing. You eat and you poop and you sleep and you cry and you eat and you poop and you sleep and you cry. And it's just on repeat. And, and I've never had that conversation with my, with my children of, hey, what are you bringing to the table here? Because there's this overflow of love that comes out of us for our children. And that same overflow of love that we have for our children is how Paul saw the church at Thessalonica. And it's this mind-blowing thing that these people that were strangers to him had become like family to him. And he was willing to say, hey, I'll, I'll set up uh, tents R us in the backyard and we'll, we'll keep working so that we can take care of you guys. I'm going to make sure to be gentle and caring and kind to you guys as we see you grow. But, but we're willing to joyfully suffer to grow the family. Uh, this isn't just true with parenting. It's also true with people in, the, in our faith, right? And so we are willing to joyfully suffer to grow the family of God, right? This is why we do uh, backyard Bible clubs, right? With boot camps where kids are giving up like half of their very limited summer to then go and proclaim this good news of the gospel to people who need to hear it, right? This is why we do go trips to India. We go and we proclaim this good news knowing that persecution may await us there, but we're waiting and hoping and trusting that God might just grow his family with that. Uh, this is why, personally, I try to share the gospel regularly. And I think of a, a, a very particular instance. I had a friend of mine. Uh, he's a friend now. He was a stranger when I first met him. I met him at, at church, and I invited him to lunch that week. And when we went to lunch, this guy, is uh, his name's Lee. Uh, he's here today. Uh, and uh, Lee, give, give us a wave. Lee's awesome. Uh, one of my best friends over there, Lee. Uh, and when I took him to lunch, Lee, Lee's kind of an intimidating guy. He's a little gruff. Uh, so I, I could tell right away he wasn't, he wasn't uh, following the Lord at that time. Um, and, and he was kind of gruff, a little bit of crude language here and there. You know, there's some, some uh, color sprinkled in there. And so I was, I was a little intimidated, okay? And I, I want to confess that in a, I, I don't want to be timid in sharing my faith, but like I've, shared my faith and been cussed out before. I was like, is this going to be one of those times? What's this going to look like? But I was, I was praying as we were going, as I was meeting him for lunch, God, you're the one who's going to have to open this door. You're the one who's going to have to make this happen because I, I don't know how, how this will work. And so I'm praying. Um, and whenever we start talking, I'm still praying for that opportunity. And Lee says, um, he's sharing some of his story, just how things have been going for him. Uh, they just moved down from Oregon to be part of this uh, company, Blue Jeans. It's like Zoom, but better. Uh, it's the upgrade from Zoom. It's like a video conferencing thing. He's sharing this stuff with me. He's sharing about um, his, he's got a little bit of a history with narcotics, and he's been part of this group called Narcotics Anonymous. And one of the, the steps that he had taken recently had been to surrender to a higher power, uh, but he didn't know which higher power he was going to choose to surrender to. And so here's this perfect opportunity to say, let me tell you about my Jesus, who happens to be uh, the same Jesus that your fiance loves and worships and is surrendered to. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. He died the death on the cross that we all deserve. And there's this free gift of salvation if you will trust in him for your salvation, not your own righteousness him alone for your salvation. 
And that day, December 12, 2019, Lee trusted in Jesus Christ for his salvation. And so Lee went from stranger to friend and, and, and family member. He joined the family of God in that moment. Um, but what I didn't know is that, that Lee and Aaron would continue to grow and be part of our life uh, beyond that, that we would continue to, to um, do life together. We'd, we'd be in the same community group together. We would continue to grow and seek to follow Jesus faithfully. Uh, and sometimes that looked like joyful suffering for uh, the kingdom family to grow. And, and later he told me it was a, it was far more ordinary than he had expected. Um, part of him was expecting like some sort of euphoric high after that. Um, but it was just a really ordinary conversation. I said, thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> but what he meant was that it wasn't just another high like he had experienced before. And that like God was showing that he was real through that, through his sober mindedness in that moment. So it was just a, a huge blessing. Um, that that was the way that the Lord revealed that uh, to him. And it wasn't intentionally a a jab at me, but I could be sensitive. Verse 9 says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. He's saying, we got this extra work in so that we wouldn't be a burden they're setting up the tents are us. They're, they're building tents to pay for their stay um, and selling those to pay for their stay while they proclaim the gospel. They're not burdening them. They're not asking for anything from them. They're just giving them, here's the gospel, free of charge. And he's saying, you guys remember, you saw it yourself. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. They were modeling holiness to the believers. And as we try to be a family on mission, um, we should model this same holiness and righteousness and blamelessness to the lost around us, to those who don't know God around us. We should be modeling that because uh, what most of their objection to Christianity would be would be our hypocrisy. And so if we don't acknowledge that, and if we don't... Uh, Flee from that hypocrisy when we sin, repent of that sin, turn from it, right? We're, we're not going to be able to be perfect in this, but we should be quick to ask for forgiveness when we fail. And we should be modeling holy living, saying this is the way to joy, this is the way to peace, this is the way of a family member. In verse 11, he uses that family language again. He says, for you know how like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Like a father with his children, he sees himself as a spiritual parent a second time in this same text. He's saying, we modeled it for you. We lived it out. We also exhorted you. We charged you. We encouraged you to walk in this manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It's what dads do. They pour into their kids. They model the way to live. And then when they see something that's not in line with that, they challenge them to something greater. They encourage where it's necessary to encourage. They exhort where it's necessary to exhort. They charge where it's necessary to charge. Those are different ways that we can correct, ways that we can uh, point towards this holier, better way uh, that fathers should exercise that God calls us into his own kingdom and glory. 
sin is going to hinder that joy. And so as we call our spiritual children to live that out, we're going to call them into that joy. And so uh, the second thing we see here is that family members model and challenge growth. Family members model and challenge growth. Especially, he's using the dad metaphor here. Dad's model and challenge here. Um, or you could say model and encourage if you, if you want a more positive word in there. Uh, this is how we relate to uh, our children, right? Um, and I think about uh, my kids. Like I said, I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Eighth is my four-year-old son. The first time I was mad at him, I didn't know that I could be mad at him, was when he pushed his sister. And he had a regular practice of whenever she would start to crawl or move too much, he would just kind of like push her to keep her from doing that. And it was, it was uh, disturbing, and it produced this, this righteous anger in me of like her walking was stunted because she kept getting pushed down by her brother, who should be instead celebrating her progress in moving and becoming a functional person. And there's this, this thing in me that says, no, no, this is not okay. I've got to call him to a better way, right? I've got to teach him that this isn't how we interact with the family. We love each other. We support each other. We encourage each other. We want to see her walking, not push her down when she walks, right? That's not a place that uh, you can interact with your sister that way. And and I think about that, and I think about um, that same righteous anger that I feel towards my son, is, is what God feels towards us when we do the same thing to our spiritual family. When we see somebody making progress and when we see somebody making these strides and it's this encouraging thing and something in us wants to just go and push them down so we can stay further ahead of them, there's no place for that in the family. We love each other. We encourage each other. We support each other. We, a win for my family is a win for me. So I want to see others grow faster. I want to see, I want to encourage that. I want to uh, see that happen. And, and whatever I can do to encourage that happening is what I want to, how I want to position my life. And I think about, um, there are so many men that have been uh, encouragers and, and spiritual fathers to me that, that come and they ask uncomfortable questions. They come and they um we, we do discipleship and we don't have like limits on what areas we can talk about and what areas we can't. So we like open up the uncomfortable things like, how's your marriage? What are you doing to serve your wife this week? What are you doing to care for your wife this week? How, are, how can you grow in that? Right? Like questions that we need to be asked so that we can grow and so that we can be called into this higher way. And those, those conversations, while they might be challenging in the moment, lead to a greater joy through a greater obedience. Right? So as we live out God's word more faithfully, we're able to experience his power more powerfully. And so um, with Lee and Aaron, I got to see, uh, walk them through uh, premarital counseling, right? And, and there were times where there were, there were conversations that we would have of saying, hey, here's, here's how to be a, a husband. Here's how to uh, grow in this area and, and, really nothing off limits in the premarital counseling, right? Of, of we're digging deep and we're going deep and we're uh, seeing what God will do. And so um, this is where we really got even closer as we continued in these discipleship conversations. It wasn't just me meeting with them for uh, 
counseling. It was me meeting with them at church, sitting with them at church, me sitting with them at community group in my house. It was me uh, sitting with them at counseling. It was my wife sitting with Aaron for discipleship. It was me sitting with Lee for discipleship. And continually we're living life together as if we're a family. Because in Christ we are. And so we see that we model and challenge growth, right? Family members model and challenge growth. We see that, that family members joyfully suffer to see this growth as well. And we're going to see one other thing that family members do in these last eight verses. And we, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. They received it. They, they weren't just like, hey, this, these traveling uh, sages, like they've got some cool stuff. That, like this is great TED Talks. No, they said, these are the very words of God, and I need to live my life differently based on what they're teaching us. So they didn't just receive it as the word of men, but they received it as the word of God, and it, it became a work in them. So they went from spiritual infants to spiritual children to here they're becoming spiritual adults. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. They, they became imitators. They grew into co-laborers with Paul and Silas and Timothy. You suffered as we suffered, they were experiencing persecution. The story's in Acts 17, the first uh, like 10 verses. We see this where uh, they get kicked out of Thessalonica. They go and they charge uh, Jason's house. And they're like, where are these men who have turned the world upside down with this gospel message? And so there's this, this persecution that they would experience on behalf of Jesus Christ, that they got to join in that suffering and Paul's saying, you imitated us in this. And these people that displease God oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might also be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. It's kind of an intense verse, but basically he's saying, hey, I can have peace because I can trust God is going to make all things right. I don't, I don't have to avenge myself because I know that God's going to make all things right with these who... Uh, have opposed our message and uh, have opposed us proclaiming this good news. Similarly, we can trust that Jesus will right every wrong. And this can allow us to live at peace with one another as we're not trying to avenge our own wrongdoings that we've received. Because we don't have to get even, we can continue to be a family. We can continue to move together instead of moving apart when there is conflict. Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. They didn't want to leave. They were torn away in person, but not in heart. Their heart was still there with that church. They had this great desire and they kept trying again and again to see them. And then Paul saying, hey, even me, like, personalizing it. Listen, I'm trying to see you guys. I love you guys. We can't get there every time we come. Satan's throwing up an obstacle, but we want to be with you guys. He's saying we need to get together in person. And that's why the, this gathering that we do on Sunday is so important because we can't like connect the same over Zoom, right? We can't connect the same uh, through you just watching a live stream on Facebook. 
It's not the same. Us being together in person is important to God. It's important to us. We can see the benefit of that. And he's saying, hey, this letter is great, but I want to see you face to face. I keep trying and I'm going to get there. And then here's where uh, this isn't family language explicitly, but this is exactly how I would talk about my children. So again, we're going to see the same thing in verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are glory and joy. This is how I look at my kids. That they are, they are our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting. What we want to see is we want to see a faithful following of Jesus reproduced in their lives. And there's this great joy that comes from seeing that lived out in just the smallest bits, right? We get to, to be so encouraged by that. But how much is this true also for our spiritual children, right? And there's, there's this great uh, quote uh, by Bob Buford. It says, my fruit grows on other people's trees. My, I am most satisfied when I see God doing something in your life and the, that growing from you. So my, my fruit, it's going to grow from other people's trees. That is my glory, my joy, my crown of boasting. And I love also that, that he says, uh, before our Lord Jesus that is coming, uh, spiritual parents point their children towards the coming of our Lord Jesus as our only hope. It's a really common theme in this book, First Thessalonians, uh, pointing towards eternity, our blessed hope of Jesus. And so what we see here is that family members celebrate growth. We celebrate the growth that we see in our loved ones. That's what we do. We celebrate when children become young adults and become co-laborers in the faith. Uh, this church is suffering like he did. They're imitating him like he did, like he's imitating Christ. And this good news is spreading. Celebrating the growth of loved ones is on the complete opposite side of the spectrum from pushing them down. Right? So that thing that, that my son wanted to do to keep his sister from walking, it's, it's on the complete opposite side from celebrating her growth. We've got to see that a win for my family is a win for me. We can't worry about someone else getting something you wanted or doing something, some sort of opportunity you hope to have. We need to celebrate. That's how we can be a community of grace. That's how we can belong together. And um, we got to see this with, with Lee and Aaron, right? We got to see this with uh, Lee Trust Jesus in December 2019. Ten months later, they get married, and that's a great, joyous celebration. Uh, Fifteen months, or I guess five months after that, they get baptized. And I've got some pictures of it. It's a beautiful day. And one of the things that's most special about this to me is that uh, here, Aaron and I baptized Lee, her husband, uh, as, a, as a follower of Jesus. And then right after that, Lee and Katie, my wife, got to baptize Aaron as a follower of Jesus. And it's this beautiful day uh, that we, get, we got to be a part of because 
these strangers have become our friends and have become our family. Where there's there's some of our dearest friends now, and we we've gotten to celebrate a lot of things since then. I got to celebrate uh, a few months after this, seeing Lee share the gospel with his teenage daughter, and we shared with her three separate occasions. And I got to see him with tears, share with her like. I know I've messed up as a dad. I know that I've been a failure as a dad in certain ways, and I, I repent. I want to I want to just share the only hope that I have with you is in Jesus Christ, that he lived the perfect life I could never live, that he died the death on the cross that I deserve, that he rose from the dead, and he's given me peace that I didn't have before, and he's given me a purpose that I didn't have before. And so now because of Jesus, you can expect more from me as a dad and this this is the best news that i that i have to offer you and i saw her not be ready that day but then the next time we talked to her she trusted in jesus christ and it was it was a beautiful day that that lee and i got to pray with his daughter melanie to to trust and uh follow jesus and so now melanie is not just his daughter and his family but he's also his sister in christ we got to celebrate Lee and Aaron getting pregnant and having their son Grayson and his w- one-year birthday recently, right? With lots of huge celebrations. Uh, last year, they got this, this great news that they could, um, they could move to wherever they want. They don't have to stay local anymore. Um, and there's this big pull on their hearts to go back to be with family in Oregon. But this year, they bought a house in Taylor, Texas, because they want to go and plant a church there. And this is, this is amazing, right? This, is, this, is, this doesn't make any sense if we're not really family in Christ. It, it doesn't make sense. It's not right. It's not uh, logical. But it, but it makes perfect sense if we are family in Christ. And we would do anything for one another. And so um, I've got two questions for two groups of people as we wrap this up. And the first one is this. Are you in God's family? Have you trusted in Jesus alone for your salvation? Yeah. Amen. If, yeah. if you're here and, and you haven't, I want to I just share this with you. John 1.12, Jesus said this, uh, or John said this about Jesus. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so for you to join this family today, it looks like believing in Jesus's name, what he's done, what he's, his life that he's lived for you, the perfect life. It, it means trusting in him to receive that free gift of salvation, to, to receive that adoption into God's family. And so if that's you today, I'd love to talk to you more about it, but you will also have an opportunity when we take communion together. Uh, is that to possibly be your first act of faith, of you showing your faith by identifying with Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection through taking communion with all of us, which if that's you, I would welcome you to do today if you're ready to trust in Jesus. And our second question is this, um, is your family on mission with God? So are, do you belong to a community group? Do you, do you have a spirit? Like this is a great family gathering for us as a church, right? Like this is like the whole family coming together kind of. You know, we're split across three services, right? So the family's bigger than just what's in this room, and it's even bigger than what comes into this building, right? The family of God is humongous. 
It's all of those who would trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation are in this family of God. We've been adopted freely through what Jesus has done for us. But within your community group, how are you encouraging one another to faithfully share where you work, where you play, where you live? Are you? Could you grow in that? Could you grow as a family on mission? Because this, this picture of us being blessed to be a blessing, it goes back to Genesis 12. It goes back uh, so far where we, we have this faithfulness, faithful command that this is who God's people have always been. And this is who we're called to be today. And so um, as the band comes up, consider that and consider this, that this idea of going from strangers to friends to family, it, it should be resonating within you of, of this is, this is my story. This is what God did for me. He called me into his family. He called me to belong, to experience this grace of community. And I can experience that through what Jesus has done for me, through what he has uh, provided for me, that I can, I can be a part of not just being in this family, but being on mission with this family to then see what God would do, to then see that, that God would stir us up to live out this mission faithfully that he would stir us up to um, share his love with those who need to hear about his love. And so we're called into the family, but we're not called to stay as spiritual infants forever, right? We want to see you grow and become spiritual children and young adults and co-laborers alongside us, sharing this good news. It's our only hope. So I'm going to pray for us, and then the band is going to play. And there's going to be an opportunity for you guys to come up and receive the elements. And when you receive them, you're going to take them with you back to your seats. And then together as one church family, we're going to take them together. Lord, I thank you that you've adopted us into your family. That you have shown us your grace in this incredible way that that when we were sinners, we were rejecting you, we were running the other way. You said, come to me that you made a way for us to be at peace with you, a holy and perfect God. And you made a way for us to not just be at peace with you alone, but you gave us a family. And so I pray that you bring about healing in this room through this family, that we would experience the grace of community together, that we'd be a people of grace, that you'd fill us with gratitude, because we would understand who you were and what you've done for us. We love you, Lord. We need you. I pray that, that you'd help us to understand what exactly is, is going on with this table of communion today. Just a little bit more. Give us a little more of a glimpse today. We need you for that. Amen. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. His body was broken so that we could have peace with the Father and so that we could have peace with one another. Do this in remembrance of him. This juice, this grape juice, it represents the shed blood of Jesus so that we could have peace with him and with, with the Father and one another. 
this shed blood of Jesus, it's the same blood of Jesus that justifies each one of us. The only way any of us have access to him is through his blood being shed, and it covers all of us. This is the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink. Lord, you're good. We worship you. Let us continue in worship through singing your praise. Thank you, Pastor Zach. For those that don't know, Zach, Zach was uh, ordained last Sunday night, and so this is his first Sunday leading us in worship as our worship pastor. So many worship sets were done that night as well. So uh, thank you. Um, Church, this is, this is a, such a great command and reminder from the scripture that we're, we're called to belong to a family on mission. See, this isn't just like James's will for you. This is Jesus's will for you, right? And in John chapter 17, he prayed for you. He said, I don't, I don't just pray for these ones, talking about his disciples, but I also pray for those who believe in me through their word. So he's praying for us at that time. And he says that, that we might be one, that they might be one, even as you and I are one, so that the world might know that you sent me. So Jesus is saying, through our unity, through us being a family on mission, we get to show the world that Jesus was sent by the Father. Isn't that a great stewardship that we have? We get that great responsibility to be that family on mission, that family of sent ones. And so from this place, I'm sending you to be family members on mission. You, you are sent. 